This episode is sponsored by Osea. Osea puts your health and the health of the planet first. Formulated with all skin concerns in mind, Osea makes products infused with sustainably sourced, organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals. Osea can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance. Whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions, every product is sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love in California. Use code GETLOVEDUPFREESHIP for free shipping in the USA. Welcome to the Get Loved Up podcast. I'm Koya Webb, founder of Get Loved Up, where we inspire you to love yourself more, love others more, and love the planet more. Each week, I'll interview a special guest who will share their insights on how they practice daily self-care, tackle tough challenges in life, and thrive in the world one breath at a time. You will be inspired to take control of your life as you heal yourself mentally, spiritually, and physically, and create a reality in alignment with your deepest passions. Let's get loved up. Hey, hey, it's your girl, Koya Webb, here on the Get Loved Up podcast, and I am here with Ryan Englehart, and he is the owner of Cafe Gratitude, amazing longtime friend of mine. I think it's been almost like 13 years, 13 years, if not more. Wow, thank you for coming on today. Mm-hmm. I have so much I want to talk about, so mm-hmm. much, but I really want to start with how did you come about Cafe Gratitude. It's such a beautiful initiative. And if you guys have not been to Cafe Gratitude, you come in, it's a beautiful plant-based vegan restaurant, amazing affirmations. When you come in, you feel the love. You feel, what am I grateful for? Which gratitude is a big thing here at Get Loved Up. And every time you order a meal, you are blessed with an affirmation. So can you please just tell me the journey and how this came about? Absolutely. Uh, so Cafe Gratitude is it's a family lineage. It's, a, it's a, a business that has come from my father and stepmother. And now me and my brother uh, took it over essentially eight years ago and brought it to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the initial, the initial inspiration uh, some 15 years ago mm-hmm. was really not about food at all. It was, it was really that gratitude um, was the mission and the message on uh, my parents' hearts. Right. They, you know, they, they had uh, come through their different uh, journeys of healing and transformation. Uh, my dad had a big clothing manufacturing business that he sold. My mom left him for another woman and his life kind of went into turmoil and, and his life fell apart. He ended up going to uh, a program called the Landmark Forum, which oh, wow. you've probably heard of. Absolutely. And uh, that was, I had, I had actually done it when I was 18 years old, and it had been very, very impactful and transformative for me. My dad was like, oh yeah, I already know that stuff, and didn't, had any, no interest into it until his life fell apart. He ended up going through it, mm-hmm. meeting Tercy's, who was leading programs at Landmark. They fell in love. Uh, they got married. They were too old to have kids. Mm. Uh, they spent a year really visioning 
what they wanted to give their lives to mm -hmm. and the thing that continued to come under their hearts was how do we make gratitude more um, part of the fabric of our culture mm. and the idea, the inspiration that emerged was to create a transformational board game uh, wow. called the Abounding River Board Game, which is similar to like life or a monopoly. You sit around with friends and family, mm -hmm. but instead of um, you know charging people to stay in your hotels like monopoly, you would pull a card about your self worth, mm. and you'd answer the question, uh, where do you doubt yourself? Um, in your life right now. Wow. Share with the other players. Where's that game? Uh, it's, you, you can, can buy get it. it. You can still buy it on Amazon. Oh, you still I want to check it out. Uh, and so the, the, the genesis of Cafe Gratitude is really, uh, can we bring people into this very simple yet uh, unpracticed practice of that your life is a picture of your mind and your life is a picture of where your attention is or where your awareness is mm. and that that's what that's why gratitude is so powerful because gratitude brings our attention and awareness to something that already is full mm. so we go from a, a diffuse awareness to pointing it towards something that is fulfilling that is great that is uh, enough Right. And then we're welled up with that enoughness when that was there five minutes before, but our awareness wasn't there, so we didn't have that experience. I love that. And so that, that was the essence, the, the genesis, the inspiration, the transformation, the gift, the mission of what we wanted to create with Cafe Gratitude was a place that people would walk into and through the service, the food, the art, the interaction, the engagement, people's would shift from I'm not enough, something's not enough, I, you know, the, the, the monkey mind that's oftentimes degrading ourselves down and for a moment can we through guiding people's awareness to mm -hmm. something that they're grateful for with that question, what are you grateful for? Right. Or saying, you are beautiful, right. uh, you are amazing. Right. And yes, it, it, you know, people could say, well, that's hokey or that's, you know, that affirmations don't matter, don't make any difference. Mm -hmm. But whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Right. So that's an affirmation. The, aff the aff affirmations don't work. You're right. They don't work for you because you're affirming they don't work. Right. Um, but just, you know, when we're, when we're so, when our mind and our orthodoxy and our thinking is so driven towards this or that, yeah, we're going to find the evidence in our world to, to validate that and to such that we're going to experience that is the truth of life. And so we wanted Cafe Gratitude to be a little haven for people to walk in and not only be, you know, put clean, food is medicine, healthy, organic, plant-based, 100% organic ingredients, you know, whole foods, unprocessed foods, you know, the best ingredients that we could come by. Right. But that was just, that was almost the carrot to get people in the door. Mm. The food was just the carrot to get people in the door. Really, the bigger intention was mm -hmm. to bring uh, the practice and the state of awareness that gratitude is a moment-to-moment -moment choice mm -hmm. and by given the choice of being asked the question um, you know what do you love about your life um, you go from 
I'm not enough, something's wrong, something's missing, which is kind of the, where our mind is oftentimes scanning right. and brings us back into, and I'll just ask you, um, what moves you from your head to your heart? I love that. Love moves me. <laughs> and I like that question, like, where is your awareness? And my awareness is love and love consciousness. That, that's what moves me. Mm. Love that I'm receiving, love that I'm giving, love that I'm feeling. And I, I think you're right that gratitude brings your awareness back. So if I am feeling down, if I am feeling upon, if you have the awareness of gratitude, it's like, oh, it brings you right back to love. Mm. Instead of fear, instead of doubt, instead of worry, all those things. Mm. So tell me what, um, with this re- gratitude, with this restaurant. Yeah. So go ahead. Were yeah, you going to so, expand so, on? So my... yeah. So essentially, that was the genesis. Okay. Um, that was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. We had uh, an eight-year run where we opened seven restaurants in the Bay Area. Wow. Uh, six Cafe Gratitudes, one Gracias Madre, which is also ours as well. Mm-hmm. All organic, all plant-based. Uh, Gracias Madre um, was a beautiful uh, story in that we went to Mexico to visit family members of our employees mm. and went back for a wedding for one of our longtime uh, Mexican employees. And we went back to this small town called Tortuga, uh, which means turtle. And mm-hmm. they said they hadn't been gringos in this town in 25 years since puppeteers had come through. And wow. uh, we went to this small Pueblo town and celebrated with this, um, celebrated this wedding. And on that trip, uh, we were so loved up, speaking of loved up, get loved up, uh, by the mamacitas, uh, the mothers of many of our employees who were back in the States. Mm -hmm. And that just our reverence for Mother Earth and our reverence for the mother who's been setting the table and our love for uh, Mexican cuisine and the flavor of the corns, the beans, the squash, and mm-hmm. you know the combination of flavors, cilantro, avocado, you know, just mm, Mexican food. So good. Um, and our commitment to organic ingredients, kind of all that merged to this idea, this insight of thank you, Mother, gracias, Madre, thank you to Mother Earth, thank you mm. to Mother who's been setting the table, and thank you to the Divine Mother that lives within our hearts, that you know is the qualities of the Mother that um, you know men and women embody. I love that. Um, so yeah, so that was, so we, again, first chapter was 2004 to 2010. Mm-hmm. We opened seven restaurants in the Bay Area. And then um, we merged, we had a, a partnership with a husband and wife from here in Los Angeles. We came down to Los Angeles eight years ago and opened our first location mm-hmm. uh, on Larchmont. Mm-hmm. And that was like, you know, and really the, the vision of coming to Los Angeles was very specific. And that was mm-hmm. um, when, I came, when I came down here when I, was when I met you at, right. at, at Agape and such. Uh, and really we came on a mission. We came on a mission to come to Los Angeles, which I consider in a lot of ways the belly of the beast. Mm. And if we can create healing in the belly, then we can have healing in the totality of the body. And you know, as we start to know more about health and wellness and the importance of the, the gut flora in our, in, our, in our microbiome, and if we don't have good gut flora, then we can't have a good healthy immune system. We can't have good you know, synapse in our brain that you know, so much is connected to the gut. Right. And so that if we could actually create healing in the belly of the beast, Los Angeles, mm. and, and demonstrate a new model of business, which we call sacred commerce, which is the model of business that we operate under um, within Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre, 
uh, and we could demonstrate that in Los Angeles, you know, so much about of what happens in Los Angeles gets broadcast and it becomes the cultural kind of aspiration around the world. And a lot of that cultural aspiration is, you know, I would say very superficial and, and, and not necessarily heart-centered and, and, and meaningful. Um, it's a, a very a facade based. And so the, the vision was to come to Los Angeles and demonstrate not only a healthy model of business, but also a healthy model of community, a healthy model of living and eating um, and being together and also just a healthy attitude and yeah. that a business can actually have an attitude and a way of being beyond just um, the products that uh, that business sells. Mm-hmm. And so, that. yeah, that, that, that in a nutshell, we, you know, we've been here for eight years in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and we've opened seven restaurants uh, under three names. And, uh, yeah. and what was the third one? Uh, gratitude, where I see you all the time, uh, right. Gratitude Kitchen and Bar in Beverly Hills and then in Newport awesome. Beach. So it's just a slight variation from Cafe Gratitude, but because it has a full bar, uh, alcoholic bar. Uh, oh. And then it, it, the, the evening menu is a lot more kind of, it's a slightly higher end, more fine dining, elevated experience as far as the food quality. Not food quality, but the presentation. Right. And uh, what about Sage? I thought there was a connection there. Sage is my sister. So right. my biological birth sister, my only birth sister is named Molly Engelhart, mm-hmm. and she's the owner uh, and chef of Sage. But that's completely separate. Completely that's separate not, okay. business, but I mean, it's still a family. Yeah. Know? Awesome. Uh, you know, people have called us the vegan mafia. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah. So that's in in a in a in a nutshell. Um, yeah. The the big picture of Cafe Gratitude uh, and where we've come from. And uh, well, congratulations. It's it's such a beautiful a beautiful space. The energy is high vibe. When I go in there, I just feel good. I have many birthday parties there. I remember we made the rapture, um, the strawberry rapture. I think it's strawberry and amaretto, like this, delicious cake. This this was uh, at what location? At, or, or did, did uh, one, okay, this is not the one. Okay, I was trying to think. It did. Okay, no, it was at it was at Venice. Okay. Yeah, Venice, like maybe five years ago. It was so good. It was delicious. And so I kind of want to just talk more about like the plant based part. I know being plant based is really important for all the restaurants. All the restaurants are vegan, plant based, and talk a little bit about that and how important that is in the community. Totally. You know, I've been mostly a plant based, nourished, and um, uh, you know, my I for the entire I was born uh, vegan vegetarian, mm-hmm. uh, and depending on my parents' spiritual teacher throughout my life, we were it was the the extreme variation of that. Right. Um, you know, varied, but essentially that's you know what that's been the diet of my life, mm-hmm. um, and and ultimately of of my family. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that emerged somewhat con- controversially about four years ago was that. Actually, just going back beyond that, my dad was vegetarian for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started um, farming, mm-hmm. and he kind of had this at uh, maybe 10 years ago went back, or 12 years ago went back to the land and started farming. Mm-hmm. And really, he went started to farm, and he went to the farm as a raw vegan. Right. Uh, and he started farming, and he started mm-hmm. you know connecting with farmers and learning how to grow biodynamically, organically, mm-hmm. and you know how to create fertility on the land and really understanding you know the cycle of how fertility cycles and how to keep 
a piece of land healthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, what he started to learn um, by trial and error was that nature always has been a partnership of plants and animals. Mm-hmm. Like that there, it's in this partnership of plant, plants and animals that have allowed forests to maintain health, that have allowed uh, grasslands to maintain health. You know, for instance, if you think about like a big plains, whether it's in this country or in Africa, you know, plains have always had um, grass-eating animals, mm-hmm. and grass-eating animals being moved by um, a predator-prey relationship, whether it was lions or coyotes or um, wolves, and essentially, it's in that kind of movement of animals on that landscape that ultimately allows for that landscape to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. The moment you kill that, per- there's no predators, uh, you become, you know, over proliferation of life, over proliferation of one species, they start to degrade the, the ground, there becomes an erosion, and ultimately the system becomes out of balance. Mm-hmm. So when we started to learn that on our farm, a 21 acre farm, we started to realize, oh wow, to keep this farm healthy, we need cows. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we were going to be, you know, shipping in cow manure or uh, fish emulsion or you know other nutrients that ultimately came from either animals that were dead or manure that was coming from animals that were in, you know, CAFO situations, confined animal feedlot operations, mm. which you know is the worst of the worst kind of holocaust of treatment towards animals Mm -hmm. and so it's like all right well we don't we don't want to support that system Mm -hmm. Um, what made the most sense is to have our own cows on our farm and those cows could graze that um, on that grass and return that fertility into the soil Mm -hmm. because the sun allows grass to grow and ultimately cows can get nutrition from that grass and then they can put fertility back in the soil which then can grow the crops that we are you know desire to eat right um, but after doing that for some time you know and the whole thing of a farm is everything is an equation of give and take mm-hmm. everything has to you know everything there's inputs and there's outputs and on having that farm there we you know you, when we started to milk the cows and you know got into raw milk Mm-hmm. And they were in, you know, and then they got into, you know, we had chickens because when you have lots of compost, you can have, uh, you can feed your compost to the chickens. The chickens eat it and they turn that into egg protein. And for the people that eat eggs, you know, that becomes a valuable ability to cycle um, and return those nutrients into a usable form of energy for the people who are living on that farm. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, as, as they started to farm, they started to see wow, there's not, there's not this clear separation of like, we just want to grow vegetables and we just only want to deal with vegetables. Because mm-hmm. if you looked a little bit before, how, well, how do you get the nitrogen to grow those vegetables? That nitrogen came oftentimes from the decomposition of a, an animal um, or the manure from an animal that was part of a, a system of life and death. Mm-hmm. And so um, that led to um, us going through the process of, well, 
Uh, we have one cow that had a, had a, had a, uh, a blood disease and another full-grown male that we didn't have room for on our farm. And some people do eat meat on our farm. And instead of you know, having those people go to Safeway and getting meat from whoever knows where in whatever condition, it's, it felt the most honoring and the most, yeah, the most honoring to actually take this um, into our own hands and do this with the most consciousness and the most awareness. Mm -hmm. And we ended up killing two cows on our farm. And we told the story about it on our, on our Be Love Farm blog. And it became, um, you know, it, was, it, it felt like a, a betrayal to the vegan community. Um, and while I totally get that, um, and I, you know, when you wear and you, you play a role of uh, a leader in a certain community, mm -hmm. and then a leader makes a choice that you don't agree with, it, it kind of, you know, sh it, it, it's, it's kind of shaking, it's shattering. Mm -hmm. And, and I get that. And I, and, and, you know, but the, the truth was, you know, we were, you know, specifically my father was on his journey of being vegetarian for 40 years, started to grow, you know, becoming a farmer, understanding that there was a bigger cycle that he was a part of, um, and there was uh, more nuance, intricacies to growing food, organic vegetables, which mm -hmm. uh, he thought he was completely um, sort of, if he was only eating those vegetables, he wasn't participating in death or he wasn't contributing to death and when he mm -hmm. started to really get into the nuts and bolts of that he saw that it wasn't that clear mm -hmm. um you know and another place that this been, has been exemplified is in you know hindu culture in india you know where they have a lot of reverence for the cow and there is no um or traditional hindus don't eat meat um, but they do drink milk mm -hmm. but then you know the situation with that is that they have male cows in that situation of you know birthing cows for milk because you always have to have uh, a baby cow if you want milk because ultimately that milk is designed to go to a baby cow and in that situation every other cow you're going to have maybe a, a male cow which ultimately doesn't provide milk and in that system in India those cows are oftentimes given or sold to you know other cultures Muslims um, that don't have the reverence for the cow and ultimately those cows get you know killed for for meat um, and so, you know, it just, it was, it was kind of a, a complete shattering of a worldview for, for me, for us, um, as being vegan vegetarian for my whole life, mm -hmm. 35 years up right. until that point. Um, and, uh, you know, a, another big driver for me was I had this huge kind of awakening transformation around. Um, soil being this basis for life on planet Earth mm -hmm. and how do we rebuild and regenerate our soil because our current agricultural system uh, says that we or the United Nations says that we have about 60 years left before all agricultural land is denuded of life and has the, no more ability to produce any food. Mm. Um, so do you think this is a solution? Is this something that you're ongoingly practicing and believe that is a solution for uh, farming? I, I think that partnership with animals is essential to regenerate land. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as far as what I hold up as the, the kind of priority um, uh, billboards, mm -hmm. you know, I think 
eat more plants, plant-based, plant-rich diet as like the, the upper billboard because 95% of what meat and dairy is produced in this country and the world is a complete desecration. Mm -hmm. um, and so, the, you know, we, we, have to we have to swing way, way in the direction towards a plant-rich or plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. But again, to what, what I've discovered humbly in the process of, you know, my father going and starting a farm and me become, you know, starting a nonprofit all about um, the interconnection between plants, animals, soils, humans, the whole, the whole ecological system is that um, regenerative agriculture is the only way that we can have a future food system mm -hmm. um, and an essential way to have regenerative agriculture work is the partnership of plants, animals, and, and humans mm -hmm. um, because all healthy ecosystems have had animals and plants as part of a cyclical circle system um, that has life continued to um, stay healthy uh, and not degrade over time. So, uh, yeah, so that's... Do you feel like um, as humans that we would degrade or we would, wouldn't be healthy? Um, let's say if, you know, of course you mentioned that you can get already dead cow or, you know, the cow can be recycled in something way or like and as you said it builds one if you have the cow then you have the milk then you have, and it just builds so is there a way um to have a, a farming system uh, from what you now know yes um where it is like a hundred percent that you can run it and you can use animals in conjunction with animals but without necessarily let's say milking the cow and having the eggs and then having the chicken is it possible to like okay run a farm and maybe you use an animal in cooperation with animals you using the cow to eat the grass provide to the manure to totally totally possible just mm -hmm. not possible in the economic framework that mm -hmm. we live in Mm. and so what do you feel like do you so that's something that is going on now that's how you farm presently and do you feel like you have any um advice because i feel like a lot of people that you know i heard from that were really like um really upset about the situation really doesn't understand i said i feel like the understand because everyone's not a farmer and i think understanding the possibilities available for us because a lot of people aren't vegan plant-based and they don't eat a lot of vegan plant-based food because they feel like well, is this something that I can sustain? So the question and what I give people, you yeah. know, as being vegan is that, yes, you can. And here is how. And so I guess my question to you, because, you know, I know how to maintain my body, my health, my vitality with a plant based vegan diet. Yeah. And so I do not, however, know how to farm and, you know, turn an ecosystem, even though my ancestors, Native American, um, mostly and African American, did the type of farming, especially Native Americans, where they honored the animals. But we know that's not happening most of the time. So no. I like your answer. That's why it's important to be predominantly plant based because a lot of people that do do it appropriately like your family and like you know some of my um, ancestors and families i'm still connected to um they do have a sacred way of yeah. honoring the animal and honoring it but most people don't do that and so with that being out there 
what do we have to give people two things what do we have people to give people and farmers who want to do it in that mindful way and what do we have to give people who just don't want to honor those people who are doing it that way but also know that most of the world isn't like that mm. and most of the world needs to eat and find out how to eat and survive on as you said a plant-based diet and do you still believe that even because i don't you, want to put words into your mouth yeah so the shift that's needed mm-hmm. is a big shift mm-hmm. uh, for you know how we treat each other how we treat plants trees animals uh you know the, the the you know the the thing that's been most inspiring to me recently is this idea of um interbeing mm-hmm. that uh how do we be that what i do to you i do to myself mm-hmm. and you know there's a a beautiful quote by a gentleman named Wendell Berry who's sort of a a godfather of sort of natural farming and he was also a writer uh about kind of what happened to um this country and kind of how industrial agriculture took over this country um he says every day we break the body and spill the blood of creation mm-hmm. if we do it knowingly reverently and carefully it is a sacrament and if we do it with greed gluttony and carelessness it is a desecration most of what we do is pretty unconscious mm-hmm. and i think the fact that we're being conscious enough to say i don't want to participate in the uh confined animal feedlot operations which are you know the most despicable one of the most despicable things that i think we'll look upon like we look upon slavery or the way we look upon um you know the way we've treated certain cultures in our past and i think that we will at some point look at i can't believe we treated animals in the way that we did i i think that the 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 choice the conscious choice of choosing to uh abstain from participating in that system is a very conscious and beautiful choice mm-hmm. and as someone who lives in an urban environment and has the abundance of, you know, organic fruits and vegetables at their their whim, I think that that's a and that's a healthy amazing opportunity and choice that we can make to live as a a plant-based vegan individual. Mm-hmm. When I look at like the meta picture of how we can not only just heal or sustain or have less impact on the planet cuz clearly to eat a plant-based diet is going to have a huge it's it's a much smaller footprint on water on fossil fuels on deforestation on methane gas you know you know greenhouse gases so there's so many wins to eating a a plant-based diet i think in uh there's a book called drawdown which is the 100 most important solutions to reversing climate change mm-hmm. and the number 3 or four solution is what he calls a plant-rich diet. Mhm. Um I thought it was number 1. <laughs> uh, number 3 or 4. Okay. Yeah. Um so the uh so it, it's 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 an absolutely essential cultural shift that we need to start um building our diets where 
the, the vegetables are the majority of the food on our plate, if not the totality. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a win, it's a win on so many levels. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that, again, I've just started to humbly understand over the last five or six years, you know, with my father going back to farming, me starting to really dig into, you know, big picture ecological systems, how carbon cycles, how water cycles, how ecosystems work. Um, and, you know, seeing the importance of, we've, we've desertified, we've turned one third of the agricultural land that we've grown on into desert. Mm -hmm. And the most effective, quick way to reverse and regenerate that land is through the partnership of having animals back in those regions taking the fertility um, that's been almost completely brittle and, and gone away and having through that animals roving and grazing those areas help bring fertility and the, I mean the, mm -hmm. it's miraculous what you can see when you see an environment that looks completely desolate and then you see ranchers who are essentially grazing animals in this what they call adaptive grazing and in a relatively short period of time, three years, deserts turning back into fertile grasslands. Mm -hmm. um, and just not eating meat wouldn't do that, wouldn't regenerate mm -hmm. that living ecosystem. Even if it died and it still fertilized the ground, someone would have to eat the meat, is what you're saying. Well, if, if someone's tending to and taking care of those, those animals and they're part of a domestic system, yeah, I mean, someone, someone is at, at some, you know, those cows are going to, someone is going to eat those cows. Or if it was a natural system and it was just, let's say, um, you know, water buffalo or something like that, obviously there would be, you know, those, bu those buffalo be being moved and kind of um, driven to rotate and, and, and uh, traverse the land based mm -hmm. on being moved by uh, a predator-prey relationship between. So other animals will eat them and return that, them to the earth. That's so right. it's not really necessary that we eat them. We can choose to if we want to, if if I'm hearing correctly, um, or we can choose to allow the natural cycle to happen, and the animal either way is going to return, and that delicate cycle will continue. Is that absolutely? Yeah, mm -hmm. in all natural systems, to have balance, there's going to be a cycling. And human beings in, in many parts of the world don't need to participate in that, especially because there's such abundance of other food. In certain mm -hmm. areas you know, where there isn't vegetable, there, you know, that, that is the only, you know, animals are the only, you know, whether it's you know, northern Inuit cultures who you know, feed primarily on whale blubber or in desert cultures that you know, there's no vegetables to be mm -hmm. found. But for for much of the world that you and I traverse urban centers, this country, yeah, there, there's lots of places and people don't need to participate without a doubt, uh, participate in eating meat. Again, as I said, I think the, the, the primary billboard mm -hmm. is eat more plants, eat, eat a plant-rich diet, eat a plant-based diet, eat a vegan diet. And, you know, I, I've, my, my, I've, had a, I've had a calling to really understand how we can regenerate um, and heal areas that we've completely broken. And regeneration and this idea of regeneration um, clearly relies on this 
interconnected partnership between working with animals um, and having them be a catalyst to bringing life back to land that agriculture and uh, poor management of that land has actually degraded and destroyed. And what do you feel about, I know they have like arrow gardens and technology is increasing every day and now they are, have these whole ecosystems that are happening without animals. What do you feel about those? Have you looked into those at all or what do you think about those systems? You know, I think that, you know, I think, I think there's, we need solutions on all, on all fronts. I, I, I think there's, I'm not an anti-technology person. Uh, I don't think we're going back to the Stone Ages. You know, as far as the nutritional value of hydroponic fruits and vegetables, uh, there's still a lot of debate around, you know, how do you, you know, the, the value is like they use um, no land because you can do them 3D, you know, mm -hmm. they require 80% less water. Great, but essentially you're still putting nutrients that are coming from some organic sources, um, some being animal um, and some being, you know, just mineral, whether, whether it's, you know, uh, minerals coming from the earth, mm -hmm. um, but ultimately creating these biological um, or even chemical fertilizers that are ultimately feeding a plant that then we eat. Um, I think that there's value there, but I don't think that, I, I, to me it's like, it doesn't feel like the world that I want to be a part of is like living in concrete bunkers, eating food that comes, you know, from machine lights and layers, it, you know, it's just like that, um, that picture of the world is not the picture of the world that I, um, I'm envisioning. I'm, I'm envisioning a, a more harmonious uh, relationship with all living things mm -hmm. and that we start designing our infrastructure and our relationship to the design of our cities and the design of our systems and our food system right. to really honor life. Mm -hmm. um, and in honoring life, there is, you know, that includes death because, you know, we all we right. all are living and dying and becoming the food for something else. Right. Get ready, San Diego. On September 21st, I will be hosting my first ever Fit for Prevention class alongside Go Macro and the Keep Abreast Foundation. Their mission is to empower young people around the world with breast health, education, and support. I will be leading an hour-long yoga and meditation class with discussion and plant-based treats to follow. Some of my favorite brands will also be attending, including Sanook, Primarily Pure, Rebel, Mama Chia, GT's Kombucha, and more. The event will be from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Make Amphitheater in Carlsbad. The first 50 attendees will also receive a limited edition yoga mat and a copy of my new book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce. Space is limited, so be sure to sign up today. All the details can be found on Go Macro's Instagram page at Go Macro or on my website, KoyaWeb.com. That's K-O-Y-A-W-E-B-B.com. Look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, it's very interesting and I'm glad we were able to dive deep about this because I feel like that 
you know, gives me more of an understanding of, of farming and, you know, natural farming and things like that. And I guess my mind keeps saying like, okay, I see the natural farming. I see the hydroponic farming. I see most of the farming that's happening now, which is absolutely 110% abusive and really, 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 really bad. And I see that being fed to most people, yeah. um, especially poor people. And for me... I'm not vegan because I don't think I'll be healthy if I eat a piece of cow or chicken or egg or anything like that. I'd probably get the happiest cow and the best grade of chicken and things like that because I, I can afford it. But I feel like the people that don't have the resources are getting the worst type of food. And yeah. my mission in, in being plant-based and being vegan and, and in that is more because I do feel like it is more sustainable and it is healthier um, for, as you said, plant-based diet being healthier for most of the world. And I do, um, even after listening to you and listening to other people, I still feel that, you know, on this plant-based diet and having our bodies return to the soil when we die, having animals' bodies return to the soil when we die and learning how to farm in that way without necessarily consuming um, humans or animals, um, that it could create a healthy ecosystem. I mean, that could be totally living in a dream. But again, I'm not a farmer, but that is my um, wondering if if that is a possibility because I feel like, you know, and looking at like the ecosystems and things like that, like, is that possible? And I, I imagine like your dad, when he started farming, he was looking into that same thing. Like, is it possible? And I feel like that is like a question that I feel like I still want to know if it is possible to live in a world where, you know, we're all living and we're dying and we're going through this similar cycle and we can experience the benefits, all the benefits of consuming the fruits, the vegetables, the grains, the things like this, the herbs without the animal consumption and live in this cycle of life harmoniously. That's something that I'm really excited about and I'm glad you've given me a little bit of insight, but my biggest concern is that this ecosystem um, that you have in your family, if, if it's possible to have that all around the world, like you said, some places, all they can eat is, is just a little animal. They don't have as much fruits and vegetables and grains and, and things like that. And I feel like no matter what, there will be those places, but I still feel like the most sustainable is a plant-based diet and plant-based farming. Um, and I wanna, I mean, I just wanna know that's possible. I think that's part of me and probably a lot of people listen who are plant-based feel the same way. And probably some of the people that attack you, which I would never attack you. And I'm always gonna eat at your restaurants. And I am also happy that it's still 100% plant-based. And I think um, some of the questions was like, oh, are, are things gonna be coming in? Is animal gonna be coming in? And I think that's something that um, some people had a concern with, which, are the restaurants going to stay 100% vegan plant-based? Are there going to be introduction of animals? And, uh, and my question to you is, is, you know, this, this <laughs> dream world that I'm thinking in my head, you know, um, there are some farmers farming in that way um, and doing it successfully. Um, because I feel like non-judgment. I feel like however people want to live and farm and be um, is their prerogative. Mm. But I also feel like talking about it on a on a level where we're talking about everybody in the world involved and we have this sense of oneness yes. with the animals, with the with the nation, everything 
is it possible, you know, from what you not know, I know, you know, like in every place, but is it possible to have this um, sustainable way of respecting the cycle of life, allowing our bodies and animals' bodies to return to the land without the consumption of one another and, and still have that healthy, fertile ground and enough for everyone to be fed and nurtured? That's the question. I don't yeah. know if you have an answer for that. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a huge question. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, I mean, it, it comes down to, do we think that, do we think that it's not correct or is, you know, like a cat needs certain many many animals you know that just their inherent way of being is mm -hmm. they you know most many you know m many animals require you know meat as part of their as part of their diet and they get sick if they don't have it you know i think human beings have the possibility of being plant-based and healthy and being um you know and eating some some meat and being healthy so i think that really the the, the big question is um is it sustainable? You know, that's the big question. Like sustainability. I think we both agree that yes, you can be healthy having yeah. a little bit of animal, but is that sustainable? I mean, so so I, th I mean, again, back to sustainability is the ability to reuse a resource without fully using it up. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, and my understanding is that the current system of how we produce meat and dairy is very unsustainable. Right. We're using it up, using up That's too right. much animal, That's right. too much land. That's right. To go to a plant-based diet is a major is a reduction of the that that consumptive degenerative system. Mm -hmm. But the challenge is is it, it kind of zigzags because yes, it's less consumptive to eat a plant-based diet, but we've already destroyed one third of the planet based on bad agriculture, monocropping as well as animal agriculture and deforestation. Mm -hmm. And to, 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 to regenerate that, we actually need animals to do that. Mm -hmm. And we can't just hope that uh, you know, our, you know, our, our kind of reserves in Africa and the water buffalo you know, go to all these other areas of the world no, it's going to have to require a partnership of human beings saying, "All right, this is a degenerated, huge piece of land. We're going to we're going to actually set out to, you know, put um, return grassland to this desert, mm -hmm. and we're going to use you know, the partnership of animals and humans moving those animals around that area to help regenerate." And can't you just bury them all around without eating them? Just like the cow dies, you just bury but, it. But on some level, that's that's actually dishonoring. You know that someone, someone, someone gets to, uh, someone's going to be nourished, whether small. Oh, we're not eating people. We just get buried. No, I'm just asking. No, like no, I'm totally, seriously. Yeah, yeah, we, I exactly. Am. I mean, yeah, we we get buried, and you know, no one eats us. Well, <laughs> well, some, some people do. Some, some people not, eat not other people. people cannibals. Not people. Like. No, no, no. But 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 organisms and right. you know nature. Right. Nature will take us. Yeah. So I mean, the 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 question is. Um, Right now, there's many people that are eating um, meat that is a completely destructive system. Right. 
and we're, we need these animals to help regenerate mm -hmm. our broken landscapes. Right. So as we uh, transition and people come, become more and more uh, attentive to eating meat from this very destructive system um, is destructive for the earth, for our bodies, for you know the treat the dis, you know disturbing treatment of animals, and we go more to a plant-based diet. Hooray! But at at a, at a certain point, and it's I mean again we're talking you know, the, the opportunity of regeneration, the opportunity of how to use regenerative agriculture as not only just a, a way to heal landscapes, but actually reverse global warming. This is like the mm -hmm. big, the big implication, the big opportunity, which is, um, you know, cows have been seen as this kind of hummer against the environment and, you know, their methane gas, which mm -hmm. is a lot true when cows are living in their feces living in a feedlot, but when they're living in a natural ecosystem where they're grazing on grass their whole life, there's, um, there's organisms and there's biology that actually can absorb and feeds off of that methane gas that they're producing, which actually creates some proliferation and more health within the ecosystem that is below where those cows are grazing. The question is not I mean, the, the big question is, are we okay with people eating meat or are we not? Because people do eat meat at this point. Right. And if they are going to eat meat, mm -hmm. um, the opportunity of having them choose consciously to eat meat that was from cows that were actually healing and creating more life in an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And that those cows were then, when they were killed, they were killed with the honor that they, they played a really important role and now they're going to play an important role in feeding and nourishing human beings' bodies. And so if, what do you feel like, do you feel like meat causes acidity in your body? Because I personally feel like meat causes acidity in your body. And so if someone chooses it, that's their choice, but I don't think it's not necessarily the healthiest thing to choose, which is why my question is, can we choose to not eat it? Because I don't think personally again i'm always studying and learning yeah. but i don't feel personally like it's the healthiest thing to eat so though i don't always eat the healthiest thing even as a vegan i'm eating pizza and, and ice cream and all these things as vegan because that is the the mission and philosophy that i that i want to live by yes. in this lifetime so my question and and my thing is i truly believe that it the philosophy of it Although understandable and respectable and respected by me, I don't think it's the healthiest thing for our bodies or the planet. And so that's why I'm trying to understand a way in which we can still use the animal in the cycle of life and give the bodies and the animals back. And if someone wants to eat it, fine, but I don't necessarily think that's something that I would ever promote because I don't think it's the most sustainable for our personal health or the health of the planet. And when you talk about, you know, agriculture and doing things on a big scale, we're still going to have, if you know, we're going to be over consuming and more people and more population. So if that's the way everyone's eating to sustain this farming, then it's just going to be more and more of it. Or I do believe if we are using the animals, recycling the bodies and the parts and and moving it and nurturing the soil all around using animals and feces and and the cycle of life 
without consuming it necessarily, I feel like that might be a quicker way and a healthier way and consuming plant-based, as you mentioned, to return the earth to this more harmonious state. I'm not a farmer, but in my head from what I've heard, that's what I feel would be healthier because I definitely see the effects of, of course, the worse and the more hormones pump, the worse it is on your body. But I also feel like in small quantities, not a problem, but in big quantities, it is a problem. And if we start doing this all over the world, it'll be in bigger quantities. And I feel like the philosophy mm-hmm. and people, again, not having access and would it be quicker? I guess that what I'm thinking while you're talking is, would it be quicker to um, transition to this plant-based ecosystem and way of farming that would sustain the land and sustain the people? Or would it be quicker to get everyone to farm in this way where they're doing it in balance, which is kind of not the American way? And so to me, in my mind, I feel like it would be um, again, and I, I like that we're having this conversation just talking about it, but I feel like the faster way is and the healthier way is to have people to consume, you know, fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds, everything that's provided for us and use, learn this natural cycle of farming, not necessarily consuming animals or their, their, their parts or secretions and things like that because I do see and I've seen how detrimental that can be even when it's done for some people in moderation even when it's done on a small level so that's that's kind of where I'm I'm sitting with it just wondering would it be uh, faster and more economical to move uh, forward with you know the plant-based farming without consumption um, than it would be you know, with the consumption. Again, I respect um, people that do consume, but I still, just from what I've studied, feel like it it would be healthier for our world and us also personally um, to find out a way um, to farm. And I have some land in Tennessee and I've been talking to my brother about, you know, starting farms. I'll, I'll get to see it firsthand if we actually decide to do that. But yeah, that's kind of my big question right now. Like, is it is it possible and I know it's probably, you know, once you get, you know, okay, this is possible, but then this is economical. And, you know, how do we, you know, cycle the money and like what is profitable and what's not. I know all of that gets tied in there. And that's why we have what we have is because people have put the money before the land. And I just want to know, based on my studies, that can we maintain the, the highest health and the highest health of our land in this plant-based environment yeah i mean i think to me it's you know we have a very short time window of Mm -hmm. um you know some some could i mean we can everything can be argued um Mm -hmm. but from the deepest part of my heart and what i believe to be um true and the pathway forward Mm -hmm. is that we need to eat far more of a plant-based diet Mm -hmm. and the way that we do agriculture, even in the way that we're growing vegetables and grains and legumes, is we need to integrate animals into that system so that we can actually rely on nature to fertilize our food versus synthetic fertilizers. Mm -hmm. Um, When we separated animal farming and vegetable and crop farming, um, Mm -hmm. that's when we started to really break the system down. We need to reintegrate those. Mm -hmm. At this point, 
you know the 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 cultural the the cultural relationship to meat is something that it's I don't think that it's going away mm-hmm. you know even as powerful and and amazing as the growth of uh, plant, the plant-based movement I think that we're going to continue to remain to have many parts of the world you know still um, you know having meat as part of their diet but if we can see that system of agriculture going from a really, really negatively destructive thing to actually something that's healing. Yes, maybe those animals, some of those animals are still being uh, killed for meat, but simultaneously there's a movement of a plant-based diet is becoming a greater understanding that wants to be a larger part of your plate. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, there's an understanding of agriculture coming from out of the CAFO system into the adaptive regenerative grazing system and you know so people are going more plant-based and then what the the meat that they are eating is coming through a system of agriculture which is a regenerative um, system of holistic management and grazing animals on a, on, on a land that mimics you know bison grazing the Great Plains mm-hmm. that is to me what feels like the clearest and most realistic pathway forward and what about the restaurants? Where restaurants remain to be um, plant-based, vegan? Absolutely. Or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the restaurants, you know, they started uh, plant-based and they will remain to be vegan plant-based restaurants. We do use honey um, in the restaurants. We actually, this is a funny, <laughs> a funny time to bring this up, but, uh, you know, the, the, we just launched an initiative uh, called Meatless Mondays, which is kind of, kind of funny because we're meatless seven days a week, mm-hmm. um, but really the invitation is to invite the omnivore, the carnivore, someone who thinks that they can't, you know, they're not into plant-based food, um, and just giving them the option of, hey, it makes an impact to just reduce your meat consumption, uh, whether it's just one day a week, and to make that more accessible and affordable and delicious, you know, we're saying every week we offer two items uh, that are 50% off, so we pick up half the bill um, for for those that are newcomers and wanting to come and try and have a plant-based meal. Well, I'm um, coming. Yeah. Too. <laughs> so uh, I know. Uh, so yeah. So it's actually it's actually Meatless Mondays today. I love uh, it. We can go. We can go to Meatless Mondays right yeah, after this and get fifty percent right. off yeah, just yeah. for newcomers or everybody. Everybody. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Everybody. I know where I'm uh, going to eat after. Yeah. So so yeah. So again, the really the the mission of the organi- of of Cafe Gratitude will remain uh, a plant-based eatery um, and really that is what Cafe Gratitude originally was and will continue to be. Um, You know, what we've continued to learn about agriculture and about farming um, and um, you know, again, we're just, we're telling the truth of what we've learned Mm -hmm. along the way and maybe five years from now I may have some new information, something different, but uh, I, I want to stay humble and learn and not pretend like, um, you know, I, I learned this one dogma and I'm going to stick to that forever because I just don't think that's, um, you know, that's honest. That's, mm-hmm. it feels, 
And that's one thing I appreciate. I appreciate your honesty, and I do appreciate the restaurants being vegan, plant-based, because I feel like we do need more of those examples out there um, for people to see how a full menu and how a full meal and how a full dessert can be maintained. I think that's so beautiful, so I'm so happy for that. And I also, you know, again, appreciate your honesty as you're learning, sharing that with us so we could talk about it, so people can feel it. And I think that's what it's all about, just conversation and everyone goes through those journeys. And I know when it was brought to me, I was like, well, my whole family, you know, eats meat. My sister just, you know, became um, predominantly plant-based. And I think it's, you know, again, better for the health. Um, but I also feel like you have to allow people to explore, to transition, to be. And I think love is the constant. Love yes. for people, yeah. respect for people, love for animals, respect for animals, and love for the planet and respect for that. And so, yeah, I really just appreciate what you've created. You and your family at all these restaurants appreciate your honesty about your journey and i definitely recommend everyone go and try out all the cafes and support and eat and also um just have these conversations around like the planet and farming and what we can do as a community and you have you know a huge initiative called kiss the ground and i want you to kind of tell us a little bit about that beautiful thank you uh yeah so seven years ago i was in new zealand uh, I saw six experts talking about can we sustain ourselves on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. Five out of six said no, it's too too far gone. The sixth said they're, what they're saying is true, but there's a blind spot in the conversation. That blind spot is soil. We mostly think through technological solutions, but if we could think of ourselves as part of nature, we could think of ourselves um, in ecological solutions. If we could see trees and grasses and plants as our allies and that soil is the greatest storage shed for carbon on the planet and that we could uh, pull enough carbon out of the atmosphere and put it back into the ground through our agriculture, that would be the greatest opportunity and is the greatest opportunity that we have as, as human beings on planet Earth. And it was just like, just an explosion wow. in my heart of like, I could see a path, mm -hmm. I could see a way forward and I just really got wow, I saw that even just the idea of sustainability, sustaining something that was broken, mm -hmm. wouldn't work. What was the path of regeneration and, and renewal and mm -hmm. healing? And that was what kind of went this deep, deep investigation and understanding around soil and agriculture and how to build soil. We used to think it'd take you know, a thousand years to build you know, a half an inch of topsoil and then we started to learn that through you know different farming practices whether you know through the bio, you know putting a biodiverse combination of plants on one piece of land or doing a rotation a, you know rotation of crops or cover cropping or having animal integration animals grazing on the land or planting more trees on the land mm -hmm. you had this ability to sequester carbon carbon is in the atmosphere down into the soil right. through those plants and that you could actually, we could actually reverse the problem. We could actually reverse climate change. I was just mm -hmm. like, that's crazy. That's phenomenal. Why is that not the most, you know, why is that not being the cover story everywhere that we can actually work with nature to reverse the damage that we've done? I mean, that right. was like, wow, mm -hmm. that is compelling. Um, so that kind of ushered me down the road of Kiss the Ground which became an education and advocacy nonprofit 
that was started in my living room. I gathered people in my living room for every Monday for a year saying, how can we change the story, the narrative around human beings, our relationship to the planet, that we've been branded as consumers. If we're just consuming the planet, you know, we're destined to destroy our planet if, if we don't actually have a reciprocity relationship with the planet we will just consume ourselves out of house and home. Mm -hmm. We will locus ourselves on the planet. Mm -hmm. And um, so, again, the, the compelling big idea was that there's too much carbon up here. Right. We can put that carbon back into our soil and we can do it with our food choices, that what we eat can actually be that mechanism that sequesters carbon. Right. Because we're voting with our dollars for food that is regeneratively grown, which regenerative agriculture means that it regenerates the resources while it produces a, a, a crop or, or um, a food from that land. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we launched something called the Soil Story, which was a kind of a, a short form piece of media that went, uh, you know, somewhat viral uh, seven years ago and has become a communication tool all over the world for explaining how regeneration or regenerative agriculture works. Um, and we've continued to develop um, educational curriculums for sixth grade students and training teachers how to uh, train youth kids uh, about this horizon of how we can work with nature, that we can sequester carbon, that there's actually a hopeful pathway forward because Right now, it's just kind of like, all right, we have 410 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. The I, I, IPCC report says we have 11 years left until, you know, it's too late. And, you know, we have the Paris Agreement that says, all right, we're going to, you know, get to two degrees, um, you know, raising. And all this kind of looks like just kind of being on the uh, defense and defending something that may have already gotten out of our hands. Whereas the concept and understanding of regeneration is how do we interact with nature? How do we plant biodiverse forests again? How do we, you know, um, create our agricultural land as a carbon sink versus a carbon source? How do we have our, our, our animal agriculture go from one of the most destructive systems on the planet to a system that actually is healing and healthy? Um, and so that really has been the, the mission and calling that's been put in my heart to be a voice, a messenger, um, to have that awakening happen. Because it was, it was literally like a spiritual epiphany mm. when I, I went from kind of the sustainability viewpoint of mm -hmm. just trying to do less harm mm -hmm. to how does my action create a proliferation of health and a continuum of healing um, and, you know, back to the concept of love, love is the greatest regenerative source of energy on the planet because it gives and it doesn't expect anything in return. It, it, it gives knowing that its, its gift is this ongoing continuum um, of service. And so, uh, Kiss the Ground, we've, we were about, uh, we, we just... Uh, about 90% done on a feature-length film uh, featuring Woody Harrelson as the, the narrator uh, as for the doc 
and it's really communicating the science and the, the large-scale examples of regenerative agriculture um, in this country and, and you know, some abroad, uh, showing that we, in a relatively short period of time, can heal our landscapes, that we can have our farming be more economical and um, more abundant for farmers, and that we can produce healthier, nutrient-dense food for people to, um, to thrive. Mm. And so this, this initiative is really, uh, you know, what, um, you know, what's been driving my inspiration. Because yes, the restaurants are, you know, a very grounded example of, you know, being the change I wish to see in the world. Um, and then Kiss the Ground is kind of that larger global landscape um, mission and commitment to the agriculture. To yeah, what's behind, you know wh where where's our food coming from mm -hmm. and how is that system? And when is that? Do you have a release date? Uh, we don't have a release date, okay. uh, but the goal is to have uh, it out in uh, the the last quarter of two thousand nine or that, this year. Yeah. Awesome! I'm excited. I can't wait to see it. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, and also, you're a new father. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, you're married, you have a child. You want to talk a little bit about how do you balance all of this work and, mm. and family? Mm. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I've been married eight years. Mm -hmm. um, this is uh, my wedding ring says, the search is over. Mm, that's beautiful. Love. Right. Uh, and and the kind of inspiration uh, from that was really this uh, realization that love is an indwelling presence, mm. and that uh, if I am trying to seek love, if I'm trying to find love in the external world, I'll continuously be chasing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, love is love is right here within me, and that relationship is an opportunity of having love um, be shared with another mm -hmm. and can we practice this high ideal of oneness in a very practical way mm -hmm. um, of how can we have our life go from an individual agenda to a unified collective agenda and um, so uh, yeah my wife is amazing she's total uh, just yeah, extraordinary, loving, compassionate, understanding being, and you know the way that we've, you know, we've we've definitely had our challenges, but we are committed to the work. And they say the work works if you work it. <laughs> I uh, heard that the uh, work works if you work, work it. it. Uh, and so you know, mm. just like any relationship, there's challenges. There's you know momentary battles of the ego, my way right way especially with the child in the equation mm -hmm. but there's just the practice of uh apology mm -hmm. apology is the best thing yeah ap apologizing when you mm -hmm. see that you're um clinging to your perspective and your way and that um your way is creating separation mm -hmm. uh, and so uh just noticing when there's a a rift and coming back in and checking in and asking, you know, what's present, anything that I did that's having you feel invalidated or um, not seen, and allowing for that conversation to unfold. 
and being authentic and being humble and, as we say, getting on our knees when we need to get on our knees and apologize for our arrogance or our... Uh, <laughs> Uh, That's hard for a lot of men to say. So it's, it's definitely eye open when, um, you know, especially as a man in a relationship, you say, I can apologize. I can, you know, admit when I'm wrong. And I think a lot of women really respect that. And, but a lot of relationships are like, oh, well, time for divorce. Like, let's just stop it. So, what advice can you give other entrepreneurs, young parents, or new, new parents, to really help keep it together? Yeah. Mm. We got the apology. Yeah. I agree with that one. That's yeah. got to be number one. Um, so acknowledgement, mm -hmm. appreciation. Uh, when we're in, in, in the in love stage, the honeymoon stage, the new part of a relationship, we just, we, oh my God, we just admire everything that's mm -hmm. happening. And then uh, six months, six years goes by and you know, we just oftentimes start noticing, oh, I, I don't like how they, you know, smack their food or <laughs> I don't like how they, uh, you know, and, and we just start to see what we don't like. Mm -hmm. um, and so just the practice of acknowledgement and seeing, seeing the greatness mm -hmm. and using our voice and our articulation um, and our words to, you know, we say to kids, use your words, use your words. Right. Adults, use your words. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge your wife. Right. Acknowledge your partner. Um, acknowledge their their contribution to your life. I love that. It's so easy to not make time for each other and just become roommates, become just mm. operating in the same house, managing the kid, managing all the details. Uh, but it's so important to schedule time. Me and my wife just started uh, scheduling time to sing together. Uh, where we sing, we'll sing uh, devotional music, kirtan music together, and ultimately, it, it won the action of it. Just you know, has us be in this creative and elated state of being, and then that kind of harmony creates this beautiful, energetic experience of love and connection for us um, personally. You know, while we're doing something that we both enjoy to do. I'm you know not a great singer. She's actually a great singer, <laughs> uh, but it's you know so. You know, scheduling scheduling time to do things together that allow you to be present and have each other get that each other is valued and important and seen. Mm. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges in relationship is we stop seeing our partner. We start looking past them. We start wanting to be with other people, everybody but them. Right. The other, the other big piece of advice is the moment we say, you are this way, we're done. Mm. You're done. Mm -hmm. The moment you lock them in a cage of they are this particular way, they'll always be that way, mm. then for the most part, that's going to have them feel completely trapped, completely unseen, and, and controlled, ultimately it will lead to a deterioration of love, appreciation, uh, connection, and ultimately intimacy. Mm -hmm. So I think we got to be authentic. We got to be so authentic. Mm -hmm. And we got to get that authentic is about saying where you're full of it. 
I'm right. full of it. Like that, that's a landmark distinction. It's like right. authenticity isn't authenticity unless you're telling, saying where you're foolish. You right. know, where, where it's not, it's not just oh I'm feeling this way. It's like no, I'm actually. I see. I've been pretending. It's right. acknowledging where you've actually been lying. Right. Um, that's so powerful. Yeah. That's so powerful. Like honesty. Like that's the biggest. That's the biggest one because we all have places where we. But it, there's like a ledge of uh, there's a ledge of honesty that like looks good to be honest. Like ah, oh, like I know it's like cool to be honest. Right. But then there's a layer of like saying things. It's not cool to say what I'm thinking and what right. I've been thinking. That's the layer that you have to that's jump to. That's the layer you got to get to in relationships. <laughs> yeah, what? Tell me something. Okay, I'm, I know I'm putting you on blast right now. I'm just blasting you out the bar. <laughs> Since you brought it up, <laughs> where are you full of shit? <laughs> where am I full of shit? <laughs> where are you just, just stuff? It could be something that maybe you were full of shit and you're not anymore, but what, um, what is something that you really had to, you know what? Yeah, I had to admit that. And um, yeah, um, here's where I'm full of it. I talk about being like a courageous leader and like, but I'm completely petri, like when it comes to like this whole idea of, you know, sharing your brand, who you are on Instagram, Facebook, I'm completely petrified of like stepping into that world and being a personality online. Mm -hmm. And I act like, I'm, I'm over it. I don't care about that. I'm, that's not for me. But really, I'm just completely petrified that I don't have anything valuable to say. Yeah, so that, that, that's one area where I, I, I act like I'm totally confident. I know what I'm talking about. I have, you know, messages and mission and there is all this to share. But when it comes to like me just saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a message that I'm really committed to, I completely am petrified mm -hmm. to like step into that and own that right I think you did it today though I think you did a good job cool <laughs> so last thing I know if I had you and I didn't I didn't say yeah I just want to say yes uh, um, my son's 13 months uh, and adorable roomy forest Engelhart, and fatherhood has been so good for me so so good for me and actually I'm realizing one other place that I've been full of it is that I for many years, I've been so exuberant and positive and knowing that uh, I have eternal energy and, and gratitude and love. And I can see over the last two or three years, my light has been somewhat dimmed. And I haven't, I haven't told the truth about that. Mm -hmm. I haven't told the truth that I've been kind of beaten up by the world and running a business and having 600 employees and you know corporate interests and um, you know that, that's that's definitely been an area that I have um, been definite like beaten and burdened and um, can see that there's a, a, a bit of resignation that had had kind of gotten over my shine, gotten over my spark. And so um, that's another area that I can see that I haven't been willing to just say, "Wow, I've been I, I, I've been dulled," and uh, to to acknowledge it actually allows me to wake up and actually start deconstructing it. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so yeah, that just it just was there for me to say. But yeah, back to my son, fatherhood has been the greatest thing for me, and just that there's this 
place to pour pure love and energy and affection and service and just getting to learn and see this innocence. You know, I think that's one thing that has always been one of my superpowers is being very, being innocent and being uh, very curious and open and, and, and seeing his innocence and his curiosity and his openness has uh, started to reopen and awaken uh, that within me, which has been uh, really, really sweet and uh, fulfilling. And the, yeah, someone said this quite beautifully that, you know, you know love in partnership and in family. And then when you have a child, you, uh, there's like this whole other room in the house that had a secret door that <laughs> when the child is born, that secret door opens and you're like, there's this huge, vast space of love that you never actually explored before. Wow, that's amazing. It almost feels like you got all this beat down and you got this little gift. Totally. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. And, I, and I'm glad you really said that. So I thank you and I appreciate you for saying that because I think a lot of people will look at like, business owners and entrepreneurs and public figures and like, oh, you have it all together, you have your family, you have all these restaurants, but it's a huge responsibility. And with that responsibility comes challenges. And when you look and you see, you know, maybe brothers and sisters and people in community that once loved you now hate you and, you know, send you death threats to you and your family, that's something that's hard. And thanks for acknowledging, like, that is hard. Like, that is... Um, abusive and it's it's not right, no fair. And I think just sitting down and having a conversation and understanding is a way to go about it if you're compassionate. And you know, my heart goes out to you for enduring mm. that and still moving forward in a very loving way and doing the best that you know how. I just I just want to tell you that I see you and I acknowledge mm. you. And I'm sorry you were abused in that way and your family was abused in that way because um, yeah, that was that was that was tough. Um, and to just admit, like, yeah, that was that was hard. Thank mm. you for just being honest about that, because you know, other people are like, well, they don't care. They just, you know, whatever. But just to acknowledge, like, yeah, actually, that hurt. Yeah, you know, that's that's um, that's very powerful. So, thank you so much, yeah. and you can breathe easy now. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. I just want to yes. end with um, an acknowledgement to you for your love and your openness and your willingness to have this conversation and yeah really i just want to say i don't know what is the truth i just want to feel like i can honestly tell uh, my understanding to my greatest ability to this moment to this time and this is what i know at this moment and you know what i know is that uh, love is the indwelling presence within all of us mm -hmm. and that love, the, the information of love will be the thing that will uh, continue to inform and have uh, this world heal and that togetherness and unity and having you know, opposing viewpoints and still being able to love each other is the direction that we need to go because clearly we're not all going to become the same or the, look the same, have the same diet, have the same religion, have the same traditions. That's absolutely going to be a diverse, and you know we're grateful that it's a diverse, you know, spectrum. Mm -hmm. And can we um, understand that there's all these different 
views and can we continue to understand how we can more harmoniously live um, with those uh, variations and those different uh, ways of being and, and belief systems. And uh, so I just, uh, I'm grateful for the all-encompassing space of love. And I'll end with a Rumi poem which says, <laughs> love is the bridge between you and everything. Mm, I love that. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much for ending with that poem. And can you share with everyone where they can find you online? And yes. Uh, in the spirit of uh, my personal uh, Instagram is lovebeingryland because uh, I love being Ryland and I'm also a love being. So <laughs> lovebeingryland is my uh, personal uh, Instagram and then Cafe Gratitude, at Cafe Gratitude, um, and then at Gracias Madre, and then at Kiss the Ground uh, are all the three uh, organizations that I represent and steward and uh, serve. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We're just going to throw them a little love out there, make a little heart with our hands. Until next time, love yourself, love others, and love the planet.